last part of the Biblical Relationships uh, series with the Dating, Engagement, and Marriage section. And so we're going to be talking about how can I live out these biblical guidelines because we've spent really a lot of time working through, you know, when it comes to the spiritual foundation of relationships and how to work that out and the emotional side and then talking about the physical side last week where we had our annual sex talk. Um, which was a ton of fun. And, uh, and how, so now that we know these things, how are we actually going to live them out? And so we're going to talk about that tonight. But before we do that, let's do a little bit of review to get everybody on the same page because I know some of you guys may have missed uh, weeks in the past and are new tonight or whatever. Just get everybody on the same page. Noah. Oh, you are? Okay. So Noah is being a little bit aggressive in his hand raising. I'm <laughs> Don't worry, Jack has a sty within a sty, so he'll, he'll be a little... Be good. He, wouldn't, he, wouldn't get, he wouldn't get it. Poor Jack. It's okay. Just always remember, Jack, that Jesus loves you, and that's all that matters. Okay. I think it's from the first time you opened up your mouth. But anyway, it's okay. It's okay. You know, you only, you only really love people you make fun of. There was a time when I was normal in this classroom. I don't know when that was. Okay. So, all right. So stop while you're behind. Okay. All right, so we've been talking about this week in and week out. This has been our picture. So, Noah, go ahead. Okay, so you're that little dude. Like, I need, I need you, y'all. You're that little person on the side. Okay. And that person that you're in a relationship, whether it's a sibling, a parent, a friend, somebody you're interested in, there's a question mark. And then God is the gigantic throne. And so as you get closer to God... You have two options. You're either going to get farther away from that person because they're not getting closer to God and they're going the opposite direction. Right. Or you're going to get closer to that person too because they're getting closer to God and you're getting closer because it's a triangle. Right. And so you have two options. And then if you're falling away from God, then, you know, that's not good. So Right. Naturally. Grow close to God and have friends and relationships that grow close to God too. Yes. And so these things happen as far as, you know, sometimes you're really close friends with somebody. This has happened to me before. I've been really close friends with someone. You know, we both go to church. We both have the same things in common. Then all of a sudden, their values completely change. They just completely like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with church. And unfortunately, that affects my relationship with them because I want to be where God is. I want to know more about God. And if they don't, now all of a sudden, our values have changed. And so our friendship has changed. And it can be the same thing even in a marriage relationship. There are many marriage relationships that fall to pieces because both people stop pursuing the same things. And that's why it's very important for us to revisit this again and again and again so that way you really understand that the most important relationship that you can establish is your relationship with God. And frankly, if no one else in your life really wants to have a relationship with God, it's better to be alone with God than to be with the wrong person. It's much better. Much, much better. It may not feel like it in the moment, but it is much better. Because if you end up compromising, now you violated God, and now your relationship with God is broken. And that's the most important relationship you can ever have. And that skews everything else. So we spend some time each week just talking about that and revisiting that one. And then, of course, the one that requires a uh, master's in molecular biology in order to understand this one is, uh, let me put it very simple. So dating leads to engagement, and engagement leads to marriage. We got that one? The friend zone is apparently um, outside of those circles. Okay. All right. All right. So, 
And an easy way, an easy way to remember this one, um, and this is super, super corny, it's definitely categorized with the dad joke realm. Every date is a potential mate. <laughs> so think about that one. So, all right, that one's, that one's old school. That goes back to Pastor Jay. I know Bobby heard that one probably several times when he was in the youth ministry here. So every date's a potential mate. All right, so, but the reason why we bring this up week in and week out is because most people that end up dating, they are not thinking about marriage when that's what you really need to be thinking about. It, is, it makes zero sense for you to waste your time, your valuable time and your valuable emotions that God has given you, your own heart, to date someone that you don't see yourself marrying. You've got to consider that first. You have to. You've got to. You've got to. Dating is not just something that's fun you can do for a period of time. It ends up leading to engagement, and engagement ends up leading to marriage. So that is rocket science, and I bet you guys can understand that if you just think a little bit. All right. So we talked about that one, and that's been our other thing we've been reviewing. And then lastly, we've been talking about this triangle. So we spent several weeks talking about this one, and we talked about how God's way and the world's way are completely opposite. So the world's way, you would take this triangle and you flip it completely upside down. The world pursues relationships purely, especially dating, purely from a physical perspective first, because that's what attracts people first. And that makes sense because it's the first thing that you see about a person. And then the emotional side of a person is that their, their character, the things they like, the things that they don't like, the, who they are, their experiences, whatever, the things you might have in common, that will be the emotional side of the person. And so then from there, if that relationship continues and they want to then eventually get around to spiritual things, then that they will get around to it. And I remember sharing a story with you guys about, um, even in my own life, about how there was this one girl that I had the opportunity to date, and she was very, very attractive. She was one of the most attractive girls in the class below me in high school. And, uh, and so that was something that was like, okay, take note of that. And, but then when it came to the emotional side and the spiritual side, she was really not attractive at all, like at all. So that really made her unattractive to me. And I'm like, mm, no, I don't want anything to do with that in my life because <laughs> she says that she loves God, but her life doesn't really prove that out. And her personality and her character is just terrible. She has a terrible testimony with her friends. And so even though she's beautiful on the outside, on the inside, she was rotten. And I didn't want anything to do with that. But the world doesn't care about that kind of stuff. They just don't. So God says the most important thing is the spiritual foundation. If you guys are not on the same page spiritually, you really are not going to be able to go anywhere else unless you compromise. And a great verse that we've used in weeks past and we've not used it in a long time has been Amos 3.3. Anyone know that one? Very close. How can two walk together except they be agreed? That's okay. You are super close. Closer than anybody else in the room. Um, How can two walk together except they be agreed? You can't walk with someone if they're not willing to walk with you. Right? Again, that's something that's very difficult sometimes to understand practically because a lot of people just tend to say, well, if I'm going to date this person, then I have to let go of some aspects of me in order to be with them. And that's not going to work. Eventually, it's going to break down over time. So you've got to keep those things in mind. All right, so we're going to talk about this one. This is going to be our model. It's on your guys' uh, study sheets for tonight, and we're going to work through this one a little bit. Uh, but really, the whole point is after working through all those things about how to prepare yourself spiritually, how to prepare yourself emotionally, how to prepare yourself physically when it comes to the biblical concepts of those things, now how can I actually just live these things out? How can I take those principles and apply them to my life on a daily basis. All right, here we go. 
So when confronted with the truth of the word of God, it can be easy to acknowledge, listen to this, it can be easy to acknowledge that what God says is true and that the wisdom that comes from the Bible is what we need to hear. It's easy to say that. It's very easy to be in this room, to hear biblical truth and say, yes, I agree with that. Am I right? It's very easy to be able to say that. The hard part is humbling ourselves and allowing what God says to practically change us from the inside out. So think about this. I mean, you guys have spent enough time in here on a Wednesday or on a Sunday, or even as you meet in discipleship. It's one thing to sit down and say, yes, that's true. And it's another thing to walk out those doors, get in your car, go home and say, yes, that's true with the decisions that you make every day. So we've got to acknowledge that that is also another side of this. That's the hard part, and it requires a great deal of humility in order to let God change us from the inside out. All right, a changed life that lines up more and more with God's word is the proof that we are walking in obedience to the Lord. If you are willing to become obedient to the Lord, the following principles will help you live out the biblical guidelines we have discussed. So you've got to make sure you get that, that your life being changed is proof that you're actually walking with God. So let me ask you something. When was the last time you heard something from God's word and you changed your life as a result? That you changed the way you thought about something and that changed your actions? Or even just even more specifically and even more practically, is there anything in this whole dating series we've been talking about that you've heard and that you've agreed with And it's caused you to make specific changes in your life in this realm. Maybe at the start of the series, you were interested in dating somebody. And now you're in a position where you're like, "Mm, they're not worth my time. That's what we're talking about here. That's just one simple example. Or maybe you're currently in a dating relationship. And there are things that now have changed in your dating relationship as a result of the things that we talked about. You should be able to name those things out. We get in the habit of hearing God's word and understanding it, and we think that God is pleased that we hear it and that we understand it and that we acknowledge it. God is not honored by us hearing God's word and understanding it. God is honored when we hear it, understand it, and then believe it to obedience. We get to the point where we actually live it out. And this is very, very difficult for some of you, especially you guys that have grown up in this church. Because we've grown accustomed to coming to church and hearing the truth. And then we know all the right answers, but do you actually do it? That's how God is pleased. And we can never forget that. So it's very good for us to ask ourselves these questions. Okay, so as we go through these three points, I want you to really consider your own heart and just ask yourself, is this me? Do I do this? Is this something that I actually employ in my life? Is this a concept that, or do I not? Do I read this and I acknowledge it that it's true, but I can clearly see that this does not actually work out this way in my own life. All right, so the first point here. If you're going to do this, if you're going to live these things out, then you've got to have these three things. First of all, you got to have this attitude. you got to have this attitude. In my life, the Bible always wins. You have to have this attitude. If you're going to live out these biblical principles about dating... And about relationships, you have to have the attitude, in my life, the Bible wins. Or to say it another way, in my life, it doesn't matter how I feel, what I do is based upon what this book says. 
So regardless of my emotions, regardless of my feelings on any given topic, subject, circumstance, person, whatever, this book takes precedence. What it says rules and guides my life. And that is very, very few people in this world. Very few. There are many people that say they're Christians, and yet this book makes no difference in their life. And half the time, normally, if they change anything, it's because of the opinions of other people who call themselves Christians rather than what the Bible actually says. So this is what it means to be a Christian. It is someone that is a person of the book. The Bible is the boss in every area of their life, regardless of their feelings. So you've got to make sure that you adopt that attitude. This is why I love the verses like this. Let's get some people to read. We'll look up a few verses. So um, everybody go to Psalm chapter 1. We'll take a look at some of the ones in Psalms. Um, Psalm uh, 2711, you got that one. Psalm 8611, you got that one. Psalm 11933, 11966, uh, 143.10, Isaiah 34.16. Okay, and then we'll look up the last one. So everybody go to Psalm 1. As you're turning to Psalm chapter 1, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and including 7, some of my favorite verses. And, and, and I memorize this, and they're one of my favorite verses for a reason, because I have a tendency to not be obedient to the Bible. My flesh and my heart, when it wants to do what it wants to do, I want to do things that are according to my feelings and not necessarily what God has said. And so I need to memorize Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. I need to remember those verses. Those verses are seared into me because I need them, because I know me, and I have a tendency to veer away from God's word. And that's why I also love Psalm, and I actually ended up memorizing uh, the entire you know, chapter of Psalm. It's only six verses, but Psalm 1 and I love how this all comes together. Blessed is the man. So if you want to be blessed, this is, this is what God says to do. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, the man that is blessed, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Man, that is me. Like, I want that in my life. I want to be a person that no matter what I do, I prosper. No matter what's going on, I'm always growing. I want to be blessed by God. And I think everybody would be like, yeah, me too. So that's what you need to do. The Bible is clear. Blessed is the man that walketh not with the ungodly. They don't stand with sinners. They don't sit with the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And you meditate in it all the time. And then that's how these things unfold in your life. So that means that the Bible's got to be the boss. You've got to spend time in it. And let me just tell you this. There's a lot of people that want to try to find the quick, like, what are like the three easy steps to like learn the Bible and to get it in you and to understand it? Okay, there's none. There is none. You've got to get your eyes in the book. You've got to. You've got to start reading. Well, I don't understand it. Okay, well, you've got to start somewhere. I mean, I've been with students that have had a really hard time reading and comprehending what the Bible has to say. And so we've spent some extra time reading and rereading and rereading and sometimes writing them out. And if they still don't understand it, well, then I go to, well, are you even saved? 
Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says to understand this book, you need the Spirit of God living inside of you. Because the Spirit of God is the one that wrote this book. And so if a person can't comprehend or understand the Bible, then chances are they don't have the Spirit of God inside of them helping them to understand the book. Because the Bible says very clearly that you don't need anyone to teach you. You have the best teacher inside of you if you're born again. Because when you're born again, the Spirit moves inside of you and is permanently united with your spirit. And now the author of the Bible lives inside of you. So as you read the Bible and as you keep reading it over and over again, as you get into it and you start asking questions and you start learning how to study your Bible, the Spirit of God begins to teach you things that no one else can teach you. And that's actually one of the greatest assurances of salvation that you can have. Like one of the reasons why I know that I'm saved is not because of my actions, It's because when I read the Bible, God teaches me incredible things that are deep and personal to my life. Someone who can't, they don't have that in their life, they may not have the Spirit. Or they've quenched the Spirit so much that they've stopped reading the Bible and they've never given the Spirit the opportunity to teach them these things. This is why discipleship is so critical. Because then you can sit down with someone, you can start to work some of these things out. So you need the Spirit of God, and that's so important, and it will help you. He's the author of the book. All right, go over to chapter 25 of Psalm. Psalm chapter 25. And this will start a trail of verses that we just divvied out to everybody. So this was David's attitude. And you're going to see this in all these verses that we've uh, laid out so far. But in Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5, this was David's attitude, the king of Israel. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy path. See, he was not interested in figuring stuff out on his own. He said, God, show me thy ways. What are your ways, God? Teach me thy path. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. See, he was being led. See, a lot of us, we don't like to be led. And 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 the first thing that pops into my mind is a donkey. Or if ever you spend time with horses, like, if an animal that has a bridle and does not want to move, are you going to move it? No. <laughs> no. You're not going to be able to move it at all. Or if your car is in park and you try to push it, is it going to go anywhere? No, it won't. I mean, it may look like it's moving, but it's not going to be moving. What do you need? What do you need in order to move that parked car? Or neutral. You can't put it in drive. It's still in gear. You've got to put it in neutral. Think about neutral. What is neutral? Okay, so it can freely go forward and backward at any point in time, right? You just need a force to push it or it needs to be up on a hill. See, a lot of us, we get ourselves locked into a gear and we won't move. When God's like, would you just put it in neutral? Just put it in neutral. I want to lead and guide you. Yeah, but if I put it in neutral, it could roll anywhere. Exactly. I want it to go a certain place, but you're not letting me. And a lot of us, this is how we treat God. We don't trust God. And this is something that really boggles my mind. Why wouldn't you trust God? Like, why? Like, what are the reasons that you can come up with that would be valid reasons for not trusting God? Like, do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done for you? I mean, he is the greatest redeemer I can even possibly imagine. Like, God himself came to die for me when I had no hope to purchase my redemption I can trust him. I know that he loves me because he proved it when he died for me. And so when it comes to my life and he wants to lead me this direction, somehow I think that he's going to lead me in a place that's actually like bad for me. 
He's actually going to lead me somewhere that, that doesn't really, you know, bring blessing upon my life from his perspective. Like, I'm not saying it's not going to be hard, but even though it might be hard, if that's where God wants me to be, then that's where I want to go because God wants me to be there because he cares about me and he wants the best for me. He wants me to have a fruitful life. He wants me to have the best life. He's the author of my life. He's the one that knit me together in my mother's womb. And so why would I not trust him with taking me certain places or doing certain things? But yet we just play these mind games with God and we think that what we want is better than what he wants. And, and in reality, objectively, that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. All right, let's get our readers. Psalm 2711. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Okay, there's a great reason why you want God to lead you. Because of your enemies. I mean, God is someone, like, I know you guys that are big into video games. Call of Duty, all right? Okay. Oh, yeah. All right, so if you're playing on a team, and let's say you got someone who's in a sniper position, okay? <laughs> and they're on your team, and they're really good at what they do. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so how much more confidence are you going to have going out and taking out the enemy? A bunch. A bunch. You know why? Why is a sniper a good thing? Because they got their back. They got their back, but they also have perspective. They got the height advantage. They are able to see things that you can't see when you're on the ground. Okay, guess who's the best snipers in the world? <laughs> G to the O to the D. God is the best <laughs> sniper in the world. I mean, it's kind of dumb. It's a stupid illustration, but I know it relates with some of you, so I decided just to use it. It was a risk, so I just played the card. Okay, but he has a perspective on things that you can't see. Do you know why? The Bible describes him as, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning from the end. I know everything in between. He knows everything. And so he knows where the enemy is going to be, how the enemy is going to attack. And so David's like, lead me in a plain path because of my enemies. I know my enemies are out there and I don't want to be tripped up. So God, I need you to lead me. Because if you lead me, I know I'll be safe. So that's such a great thing to think of, a great perspective to have. Psalm 8611. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Okay, there's another reason why you want God to lead you. Because our hearts are divided by nature. They're divided. Or as uh, Tony Godfrey would say, naughty by nature. Just because he's from the 80s. So anyway. Love you, Tony. You're probably not listening to it, but that's okay. All right. So that's how we are. We're divided. And, and we need to ask God, I need you to unite my heart. So I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. All right, next one. Psalm 119.33. Okay, so when God teaches you, you have the heart that I'm going to keep it. Whatever God teaches me, I'm going to keep it. Verse 66. I am a companion of them that fear thee, and them that keep thy precepts. Okay, and then as you have that attitude, guess what you're going to have? You're going to find really good friends around you that have the same attitude. You're going to be a companion of those that fear God and love God and want God to lead their life. And you're going to create lifelong friends that you'll never, ever forget. Never. Psalm 143, verse 10. Okay, same thing there. He just keeps reinforcing the same point. And Isaiah thirty four sixteen. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. Okay, so God says, seek out my book and read it. Not one of them's going to fail. So you need to remember that God's word is the thing that can lead you and guide you if you just spend some time in it. Is it going to take some work? Yes. Are there going to be days that you don't want to get in the Bible? Yes. 
But you have to remember verses like this to get your face back into the book because you need it. There is not a day that goes by where you do not need to be in your Bible. There is not one single day that goes by where you are good enough to make it on your own. There's not. And you got to know that going into it. I mean, yeah, that's a being a defeated attitude, but honestly, it's really not. It's actually being very wise. I know me. I know I'm weak. I know I'm frail. I know I'm going to make mistakes. I need God. I need to hear what he has to say. So you got to have that attitude. Acts 17. Everybody turn to Acts 17, verse 11. And we'll be finished with our first point. Acts 17, 11. I actually read this verse this past week for my devotions as I was reading through the book of Acts. Acts 17, 11. It's just the children next door. Yeah. 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 There you go. All right. Acts 17:11. All right. So Paul is going around. He's preaching the Bible, and a lot of people are responding to it, rejecting it. Um, and so he goes into Thessalonica, and uh, and he preaches the word of God, and then he moves on into this place called Berea. And in verse 10, that's where he shows up. They they went by night unto Berea. And it says, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And then it says specifically about these people of Berea in verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So Paul came in and he preached the Bible to them in a church setting in the synagogue. And then they would take it. They were ready to receive it with all readiness of mind. They wanted to hear what Paul had to say. They were eager. They were, they were waiting to hear it. They heard it. And then on their own time, they would go back into the synagogue and they would open up their Bible, all the different scrolls, and they would say, now Paul said this, which means they would have been taking notes, by the way. Paul said this. Let's search that scripture again. Let's go to that, that passage in Isaiah 53 where he talks about Christ. What did that say again? That's what it said. Paul was right. Because the Bible, that's exactly what it said. And so these people searched the Bible, whether the things that Paul taught them were actually true. Now, you better believe that Paul taught them the truth, for sure. But they were more noble in that they wanted to make sure that it was actually true. A lot of people sit in church, they hear pastors preach, they hear teachers teach, and they just receive anything that comes out of their mouth. Rather than going back to the book and seeing what the book actually says. What I have to say really does not matter a whole lot unless it's backed by the Bible. And I have no business speaking unless I have the authority of the word of God behind me. My opinions matter very little. God's matters a whole lot. So I better make sure that his opinions is what comes out when I'm teaching the Bible or else I'm wrong. And I'm going to be held accountable to that. So you got to have that attitude. The Bible always wins. In your life, the Bible wins. doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter what's going on. Doesn't matter your circumstances. The Bible wins. Yeah, but nope. The Bible wins. But what about the Bible wins? Yeah, but you don't understand my the Bible wins. That's it. That's it. It's our final authority for everything. It is the boss because it's God's book written by God's spirit and it's called the mind of Christ for a reason. It has to be the boss. All right. That's point number one. Very important. Number two. Do not fight the flesh with the flesh. It will never work. Do not fight the flesh with the flesh. It will never work. Never, ever, 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 ever. It will never work. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Turn there, please. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. 
All right. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So yeah, every single day you're walking around and you're in your flesh, but you got to understand that you do not war after the flesh. You can't fight the spiritual battle with physical things. Case in point, all right? You're struggling with temptation. Somebody give me a temptation. Food. Okay. All right. Food. Okay. Sleep. Okay. This is a good one. All right. Sleep. All right. Let's say the alarm clock goes off. Your flesh is now saying, ah, sleep more. Okay. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a grenade and I'm going to blow that sucker up. That That doesn't make any sense. Or, all right. There's the food, the temptation of food. This is the last piece of chocolate cake. You've already gorged yourself over it, but it's one piece. You can't leave one piece there alone. I mean, that's like a rule. So you're going to take out your 9mm, and you're going to shoot temptation in the face. What kind of 9mm? It doesn't matter. It's a Glock. Glock 42. All right. It doesn't matter, but it's a Glock. All right. Okay. So... Can you, does that, okay, that's stupid, right? I mean, that's like, okay, dude, you're insane. First of all, if you're seeing temptation, you need to be admitted into a mental hospital. Yes, absolutely, okay? It's not going to work out. But you cannot, you cannot, you cannot. You cannot fight the flesh of the flesh. You cannot have a spiritual battle and think that things that you're going to do physically are going to make a difference, all right? It's just not going to work. That's, that's stupid. Okay, so temptations of lust that you might have in a dating relationship. Well, I'm just going to set some physical boundaries. Baloney. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. You know why? Because over time, it's going to compromise and break down. You know what needs to change? Your heart attitude. The spiritual side of you needs to change in order to actually combat that temptation. Well, how do we do that? Glad you asked. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You might have... A temptation that you feel like is a huge stronghold in your life, that you cannot overcome, that you cannot overtake it. That is not true because the Bible says that through God, he can help you pull down that stronghold. Verse 5, casting down imaginations because all sin begins in your mind and imaginations and thoughts that you have. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Okay, verse 5, just look at this for a second. So you have imaginations, thoughts in your mind, and they are trying to exalt itself against, against the knowledge of God. All right? That's really what's going on. You have a thought in your brain, a lustful temptation or whatever it might be, and it's exalting itself above the knowledge of God, the word of God. Where it says very clearly, you cast them down. And you bring it into captivity in every thought to the obedience of Christ. So that means that that lustful thought that you have, you do not let it exalt itself over what the Bible says. You choose to believe what the Bible says. And through that, you will be able to cast down that imagination and put it into captivity using the double-edged sword of the word of God that we've been talking about in Joshua on Sunday mornings. So does that make sense? You've got to let the Bible win. You've got to let it win. You've got to. What you think is not greater than what the Bible says. You don't let it win. It's not stronger. It's not bigger. It's not more intimidating. The Bible is. But what we tend to do is that we treat those things as greater and more powerful than what God has said. But if you choose to let God's word overcome your thoughts, then you can bring that thing down into captivity and you won't be disobedient to that lust anymore. That's how it wins. That's exactly what it says in verse five. You just have to believe what it says. And then when you do that, you can obey verse 6. 
and having any readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Because now you can obey, because you're choosing to believe what the Bible says over your own feelings. That's huge. So you cannot fight the flesh with the flesh. It will never, ever, 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 ever work. It will never work. And there's some other verses you can look up later. One of my favorites is uh, where he says in Galatians, are you so foolish that having begun in the spirit that you're going to be perfected by the flesh? Okay, yeah, there's a lot of people that think that. That you're now born again, you're in the family of God, but somehow you can do something to try to make yourself more holy. It doesn't work out that way. So you cannot fight the flesh with the flesh. It will never work. And then lastly, point number tres, focus on the unseen rather than the seen, the eternal rather than the temporal. Anybody know 2 Corinthians 4.18? What? While we... Nope. While we look not... At the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Well, it's in the Bible. It's not too crazy. It is, it is, I know. But that's why it makes it easy to memorize, because it's kind of crazy like that. So the Bible says very clearly that you're supposed to fix your eyes on the things that are not seen, not the things that are seen. And that can be very, very hard for us to do. Go to Hebrews. I think this is probably one of the greatest examples. Go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews. 11. You guys want another dad joke? You do? How does Moses make his coffee? He brews it! You haven't heard that one? Probably an AeroPress. I'll say either AeroPress or he could do drip coffee. I don't know. Could be that way. Holy grounds. Maybe a French press. Oh, wait, never mind. It's French. That's of the devil. That's okay. <laughs> All right. Back on track. Hebrews 11. All right. So we're supposed to not look at the things which are seen. We're supposed to look at the things that are not seen. So in Hebrews 11, there's a great example here of Moses and how he looked at the things which were not seen. And that's really what guided and directed everything that he did in his life. All right. So verse 25. Okay. All right. We'll go back to 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See, what people don't really understand is that sin, yeah, it's fun. It's pleasurable. But the Bible says very clearly here, it is for a what? Season. season. And that season will come to an end. And the wages of sin, Romans six twelve, is death. Okay. So you've got to understand that because sin is pleasurable. It is fun. It is exciting. But you've got to understand, are you willing to pay the price for that sin? That's a great question you need to ask yourself before going headlong into that thing. Because here Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Because he was in Pharaoh's household. Now Pharaoh, I mean, he had like, well, I don't know, like everything. And he had money to buy anything. I mean, whatever Pharaoh wanted, he could have just gotten anything, anything. I mean, name it and he could do it and he could have it. Name any woman and he could have had her. I mean, any, anything, anything you could possibly think of, he could have, it was within his power, he could have it. So Moses could have been a partaker in that kind of lifestyle. And what did he choose to do? He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Verse 26 esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. 
And then look at this. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So he knew, he knew if I choose to go, it will cost me everything. But I am able to see beyond my circumstances to what will be through my obedience to God. And I choose that over this. And see this concept for you guys, I want you guys to really get this, please. I want you to take this away. This is big. Teenagers have a hard time at looking beyond to what will be. They see what is, and they see a short distance after, but they don't look 5, 10, 15 years down the road. They don't. Most of us don't. I mean, where do you want to be five years from now, 10 years from now? What kind of life do you want to have? What kind of a marriage do you want to have? Okay, if that's where you want to be, then what choices do you need to make now to get there? If you want to be in a marriage that honors God, where you guys are faithful to one another, that you're serving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then what do you need to do now to put yourself in that situation to be with that person then? This is the kind of stuff we're talking about, and that's just in this world. Do you understand that the things that you do and the things that you don't do will determine not only where you're going to be for all eternity, whether heaven or hell, but it's also going to determine that in Christ's kingdom in the future, what role you're going to play and what he's going to entrust with you? Because his kingdom, the Bible says, is never going to end. It is going to increase and increase and increase, and it's going to spread throughout the entire universe. And each one of us that are born again are going to have a specific role to play in that kingdom. But that role you're going to play is based upon your faithfulness here and now. So if I want to be in a position where I can honor God to the best of my ability in eternity, future, in his kingdom, what am I doing now to prepare myself and to make proper decisions in order to be at that place? Name me one teenager that's thinking about this kind of stuff. Not many. You know why? Because they're not looking at the things that are unseen. They're looking at the things that are seen. And the things that are seen mean the world to them. When they don't understand that the world to come, all that stuff's going to burn. Like all of it. It's not going to matter like at all. Like at all. I mean, name me something right now that you are super passionate about. And don't be embarrassed about it. I just mean it. Something that any one of you are super passionate about. Australia. Guess what's going to happen to Australia? Burn. It's going to burn. What else we got? Steelers. The Steelers are going to burn. It's not going to be around. The Steelers are not going to be in heaven one day playing some sort of Super Bowl. In It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Jack. No one's going to say Call of Duty. Call of Duty. Gaming systems. Do you honestly think there's going to be an Xbox like seven, which is God's number, so it would be like the perfect console. You think there's actually going to be? PlayStation, my bad. All right, all right, all right. All right, do you actually think there's going to be Playstations, Xboxes, and that kind of stuff in the future? No. No, I won't hear you out because it's not going to be there. What else we got? Donuts. Donuts. Well, there may be donuts in that one. I don't know. Okay. 
So, and, and this is, listen, now, and hold on a second. Now, some of you guys are super passionate about music and musicals, right? So, is the sound of music, is the sound of music going to be in heaven? No, it won't be. In the new Jerusalem, are they going to be performing the sound of music at the auditorium on the corner of, no, 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 it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why would it? How does the sound of music honor and glorify God? It's deplorable. (laughs) Yes, there's going to be music, for sure. I didn't say music was gone. I didn't say music was gone. I said the musicals. Okay, let me give you another example. All right? Many of you guys are super passionate about certain hobbies or certain sports. Like, Micah, you love soccer, right? Sorry to tell you. Soccer is not going to be in New Jerusalem. It is the sport of the Antichrist. <laughs> what other sport is the entire world behind? You better believe the Antichrist is going to be there. Okay. Yeah. Football. Okay. All right. So here's my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. Okay. For you guys practically with where you guys are at. All right. What purpose is being involved in music and the musicals if you never use it to honor and to glorify God, if you never use it as an opportunity to try to witness with people and try to make, them, make sure that they come to Christ and that they get discipled, that they can do the same thing with other people, what use is it for you to play soccer if you never reach out to any of those guys on the team? You guys could win the entire championship for your division, but what does it matter? I mean, what does it matter? What, does it even matter? Like, I loved it when the Cavs won the NBA Finals. I loved it. I loved it. I relished in that. That was amazing. But what good is it going to do eternally for LeBron James to have done such a great feat as that with the Cavaliers at that season, during that time? No. N- none. And yet, we spend all our time, all our money all our energy to do all these things when when you look at that from there it means squat our priorities are messed up messed up it's not bad to do those things it's not bad to play soccer it's not even necessarily bad to play video games necessarily it's not bad to be involved in musicals or to write music or to write songs. It's not bad to do those things. It's not. But you need to look at it from the perspective, what are you doing to try to do the work that God has given you to do with what he's, gave, he's given you, the skills and the abilities and the talents he's given you? Because he allowed you to do that for a reason. And most teenagers do not, do not think about this whatsoever because they're so wrapped up in their identity being in those things and who they are when that is completely wrong. That is not who you are. That is part of who you are, but that is not who you are. That is not what you were made to do. And we've got to understand that. You've got to, or else none of this stuff is going to work out right. Okay, so let's end it with this picture. So the reason why I wanted to put this picture is for this purpose. Talking about looking beyond the seen to the unseen, okay? When it comes specifically to the dating aspect of things, but you can apply this devotionally to many other things that we have mentioned or any other thing that God might be convicting you of. All right, so we're taking this triangle. We kind of chop the top off a little bit so it has a flat front. And so you have the physical first, okay? 
So when you're walking around and you see someone and you might be physically attracted to them, you have to train your heart and your mind to do something different. You have to look past the physical. You have to look past the emotional. And you have to look here first. And this is the part that's hard to see. It's hard to see that, but you have to rework your mind to look at people differently, especially someone that you might be interested in dating. And you have to look past the physical, past the emotional, to the spiritual, and if this is in line where it's supposed to be, based on those guidelines that we talked about, then you consider the emotional, and then lastly, then it would be the physical. And so that's how this works out practically. But it's in so much more than that, because this could apply with many, many, many different areas of your life, as we just talked about a little bit. All right, so based on that, um, we are done with all the content, but are there any questions maybe that you might have in relation to that or to in relation to the study? Anything at all. It could be anything you want to ask about dating, anything biblically, maybe scenarios, circumstances, whatever. Anybody have anything? We'll just end with that for the last couple of minutes if anybody has anything. I thought Brandon had a question there for a minute. Oh, no. He's just patting Reese on the back. <laughs> Giving him some support. <laughs> all right, anything at all? Okay. What are we starting next Wednesday? Next nothing. Wednesday is nothing because nothing. it's Thanksgiving week. Okay. Yeah, dude. Next Thursday. All right, so next Tuesday is going to be Thanksgiving service. So make sure that you're here on Tuesday, which, uh, by the way, um, Jack, I need to talk to you about that. Oh. Might as well tell you. You're going to be giving a testimony on next Tuesday. Oh, all right. In front of the whole church. Um, Oh, that's a great idea. So, I'm going to have to really coach you on it, though. No, no, no. No, it'll be good. But there's a certain theme, and I thought about you, so you're going to be doing it. Um, So, so if you're going to pray about it, forget it, because you're going to do it. Um, But anyway, so next Tuesday is going to be the Thanksgiving service. And then, uh, and then after that, when we come back the following week, we're going to start doing a study on talking about um, spiritual gifts and how God has gifted you. Um, this is an idea that Brandon had. It's a really good idea. That um, How can you know what gift God has given you and how can you fit within the body of Christ and understanding how all that works? So we're going to talk about that. That'll be fun. So if you don't like it, blame Brandon. If you do like it, then you can thank Brandon. All right. Okay, with, all, with that said, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get out of here. Who wants to pray? Go for it, Emily. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for um, just everyone that was here tonight. Just thank you so much that we could all be here. Um, and Lord, I thank you so much um, for just showing us all these things um, and giving them to us in um, your word. And Lord, I pray that we would take advantage of it and really use it and not just acknowledge it, but live it in our life and continue to live it. Um, Even after we get tired, we just keep going. And Lord, I pray that um, we just, you know, start right away once we get home. And I love you. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.